0: Jack Wiley, welcome to the conversation today.
1: Ah, thank you. It's great to be with you, Jonathan.
0: Appreciate it. It is very a much. pleasure. To, oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you too. You're joining us from the Midwest. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah, and today we're going to be talking about your recent book, "The Employee-Centric Manager: Eight Keys to People Management Effectiveness." I think this is a super important topic, always timely, and especially as we get into the new year and we're thinking about new year's resolutions, we're thinking about how to just do things a little bit better um, than perhaps how we did it last year. I think people management and how we focus on the needs of our employees is one of those great focuses that we can have as we, as we really embark on this next calendar year. Uh, as we get started, I wanted to share Jack's bio with everyone. Dr. Jack Wiley is an award-winning organizational psychologist, researcher, author and leadership consultant. And as I mentioned, he is the author of many things, but including the employee-centric manager. Now, Jack, is there anything else you would like to highlight by way of your background and personal context before we dive on
1: in? Right. Well, I just might add that I started my career uh, actually working inside of Fortune 500 companies and then uh, eventually went out uh, into a consulting firm environment. Also spent six years in academia uh, immediately prior to writing the book. So, I came at this work from a variety of different angles.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I strive to be a scholar practitioner. I'm a professor, uh, do consulting work. Uh, and, and I think that's a really rich place to be. It's something I certainly enjoy. I, I like kind of having a foot in both worlds and having each inform the other. And uh, so I I really appreciate that background. I think that will lead to an, an even richer conversation today. All right, as we dive on in, I always like to ask authors when we're talking about their books. Why this book, why now? What really motivated you and prompted you to to work on this? Because books are labors of love. They take a lot of time and energy, lots of iteration, lots of refinement. Uh, It's not for the faint of heart to try to embark on writing a book. So why this book, why now?
1: Right, I think two reasons. One is that, first of all, I had access to a wonderful data set, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But secondly, there actually isn't a book that exists right now that is data-based and empirical that relies entirely on the voice of the employee. So we yeah. have a number of great leadership theories, but none of them have been derived exactly from what employees have stated as their preferences with regard to what they most want from their immediate boss.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And that's a huge uh important perspective. Like you said, so much research in this area. Um, You're an organizational psychologist. I'm an organizational sociologist. And uh, so we're, we're like close cousins in that regard academically. And so much research out there. Yet, oftentimes, we try to pigeonhole employees. And we try to say, okay, this theory says this, you should want this. And so therefore, I'm going to provide this. And the reality is there's, our people just aren't a monolith. Like there, there are so many unique needs and wants and desires, so many different variations and motivations and, and priorities and what's important to people. And so often, you know, reasonably so, you know, we look at these, these theories, either psychological or more macro types of organizational theories. And, you know, then we try to do the best we can. So let's actually talk to the people who are experiencing it day in and day out, the living experts of the challenges that they face, that's super important. So I really love that that's the focus uh, uh, where you pull, um, you know, the insights for your
1: book. Great. And I I think that's right. If we stop to think about who are the consumers of the manager's behavior, well, it's their subordinate employees. And so we ought to be uh, taking a look at what their experience is and how they define great management.
0: Yeah, excellent. So tell us a little bit then about the methodology behind this data set, um, how it was collected, the types of elements and items that were in there, and then we can start to pull it apart and talk about some of the the findings and some of the the, the tangible, actionable things that leaders can start to do.
1: Right. So uh, the brief story is that I actually started a program of research back in the mid-1980s where I would ask employees, uh, a representative sample of workers in the United States each year, uh, an open-ended question. What is the most important thing you want from your organization? Uh, and we collected qualitative data, uh, analyzed that and identified the attributes that define what employees most want from their company. Well, that caused me to think, you know, there are a number of things that influence an, organ- uh, an employee's determination to stay with an organization, produce at the highest level, we ought to ask another question, which is what does what does an employee most want from their immediate boss because of the outsized importance of how that relationship affects uh, so many decisions an employee makes, uh, including the decision to stay or leave an organization. So that program of research began about a decade ago. But what happened was I was able to extend the research beyond the United States, to include ultimately 26 countries around the world, which, uh, and we conducted the research in a way that made sure that each population from these 27 different uh, economies, uh, actually including Hong Kong as part of China, but uh, how how employees within those economies uh, might differ or answer the question the same. But I was looking for a universal answer, but still uh, the data were collected in response to a single open-ended question what is the most important thing you want from the company? Uh, what is the most important thing you want from your immediate boss? And what we found, uh, I'll share in just a moment. But we had to actually translate uh, the original answers to those questions into the English language so that we could then uh, conduct a very uh, rigorous mm-hmm. uh, qualitative analysis of of the data.
0: Yeah, yeah, excellent. And I just want to highlight this this. The second piece, as you as you transition to what the organization can do, to what my immediate boss can do, because that really is, you know, when we talk about the lived experience of workers, um, it's their immediate boss, right? It's their immediate boss, their immediate team that influences largely their experience in the workplace. And I've often said, you know, you can have an amazing organization, amazing organizational culture, amazing executive leadership, great strategy, great vision, mission, all of that, lots of purpose. You can have all of that but if you're working in a team with a horrible boss your world sucks like you are in a really bad situation and the the opposite can also be true to an extent i mean you can be in a rather toxic um organization with a lot of problems but if your immediate team is as great and empowering and supportive and you have a great boss they can really shield you from a lot of that and so your experience can be way Better and outperform really what it should for that, the organization and the issues that it's having. So you, we can't understate how important that that manager is, the direct manager that people work with, in terms of creating that environment uh, for for satisfaction and engagement and just being able to do cool work. It's so so valuable.
1: Right, uh, the manager really has an outsized importance on the entire employee experience, and I agree wholeheartedly uh, with all the reasons you just stated. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start to get into
0: these eight key people management components that you found through your research. Um, if right. you can start to walk us through those.
1: Sure. Um, I actually refer to it as the 512 because okay. actually five of, the beha- five of the attributes that employees most want would be what you and I would call behaviors. Uh, one would be a skill and two would be values. So I refer to it as 512. But And even a further definition, of the five behaviors, there are are two behaviors that managers demonstrate uh, that actually are very much oriented toward building a better relationship with employees. Um, First and foremost would be the behavior of being supportive and understanding. Uh, This in fact was the behavior most frequently identified as what employees most want. They wanna work for a boss who's accessible, uh, who's supportive, who's encouraging, Uh, who's considerate in their behavior toward the employee. Uh, Secondly, uh, they want to work for a boss who treats them with dignity and respect. Uh, So this means that I want to work for a boss who presumes that I'm there to do a good uh, job, who's going to respect the experience I bring, invite me to participate in decisions. So those two behaviors, being supportive and understanding, treating employees with dignity and respect, are what I would refer to as relationship behaviors then there are three more. Behaviors. Can I
0: pause there for just a second? Sure. Because um, I really do. I love that. And I often say, you know, good people management and an employee centric leadership style is not rocket science. Like there's some pretty basic things you can do. And I know all of the things that we're going to be discussing aren't necessarily, you know, brand new ideas, like they've been discussed and and explored and you're, you're bringing a new lens to it and and a new unique research approach to it. Um, but it's not rocket science. And ultimately what I say is the number one thing, if you want to have a, a good, healthy team environment, workplace environment, just learn to treat your people with dignity and respect. Like that's, that goes such a long way. You may kind of stink in other managerial and leadership competencies and capabilities, you may be learning and building the plane while you're flying it, and you're going to have missteps and everything, but you treat people well, you support them and treat them with dignity and respect. My goodness, that just creates foundation of trust, and it creates an opportunity for you to do cool stuff. And and I think most leaders probably agree. Like I I don't think most leaders wake up in the morning thinking, Hmm, how am I going to exploit my people and not treat them with dignity and respect today? Um, I, I don't think that's the intention yet because of just the busyness and the grind and like getting your attention split so many ways and you end up focusing on different things. It just falls by the wayside so often. And you end up treating people in ways that probably you wouldn't want to be treated and probably you wouldn't. Be happy about, you know, if you step back and realize that's how you're treating them, right? So just being able to pause and take the time and and really remind yourself and and create that environment and culture where you're just, everyone's treating each other kindly, treat each other with dignity and respect, the whole person, that goes such a long way.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, And that's kind of fundamental, so critical uh, to how employees feel about the quality of their working experience. The three additional behaviors uh, really, I, I think, deal with performance uh, more so than than relationship, but obviously these are, are, are not completely independent. They're, they're very much uh, uh, bleed over into both categories. But those three behaviors are, first of all, communicating clear performance expectations. In other words, mm-hmm. defining what success looks like, uh, what represents a job well done. Uh, number two, recognizing performance, uh, by this, we mean psychological recognition in the old way of saying things, pat on the back at a boy, at a girl, but uh, appreciating the contributions that employees make, saying thank you uh, for their work, and also uh, seeing that they're recognized up the chain of command. And then uh, the third behavior is rewarding performance contributions. Um, this doesn't actually find its way into most leadership theories, but em- employees realize that managers may have limitations in terms of what they can do based on corporate pay policy. Mm-hmm. But they expect their manager to to do everything they can do to ensure that they are rewarded uh, in a way that's commensurate with the contribution they're making. Now, and that actually has two attributes. Half of it is about getting fair pay, but the other half of it is about creating training and development opportunities. That allow the employees to continue to grow and develop in their skill set, and presumably uh, move up the uh, up the uh, corporate ladder, so to speak, if in fact that's what they aspire to do. So those are the three uh, performance related yeah. behaviors.
0: Yeah, and and I think it fits with with the last one a little bit. I, I was working with an organization, and just yesterday I was in a meeting where you know they had they had this kind of cool new shiny initiative like this, you know, it, everyone's kind of excited about it. There's energy around it, which is great. And and as I'm hearing them get pitch it and, and get some, some buy into it, I'm thinking this, this is great. I, I you know, I w- would be super happy to support this um, on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm thinking also from the standpoint of employees that show up each and every day that put in the work that are involved in the grind that are forced to kind of jump through the hoops of policies, practices, and procedures, who have worked for sometimes years to put forward and gain traction and and support for similar types of initiatives, um, it can be really frustrating and demoralizing when something that's very similar to what you've been doing for years gets pitched and all of a sudden it has all this hoopla around it and like you're breaking down barriers and you're just allowing this thing to just roll out immediately. Um, I don't think that's the intention of anyone. When that happens, you just see this cool opportunity. You want to chase it, right? But one of the things you need to remember is is that the the, the people that show up and have been showing up each and every day doing the hard work of the organization, uh, especially if they've been trying to push the envelope and innovate and push you in ways that maybe as a leader you're not comfortable, um, and they've been doing that for a long time to then all of a sudden see. Kind of this new trendy pet thing get all the attention. It 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 becomes very demoralizing, or at least it can be. So that's not to say don't do new cool innovative things, um, but it is to say I think one of the jobs of a leader, to your point, it, you know, pay important training and development important, but finding ways to break down those barriers to like listen to your people um, when they're doing cool stuff, acknowledge it, support them, uh, and clear the pathway for it to happen. Um, you know, that's going to take away a lot of the sting that can come, like I kind of perceived yesterday in this meeting, um, where again, not the intention of anyone to have that kind of as an outcome, but it definitely was felt by many in that room. Um, And I know it would probably be felt by many of the people that report to them, uh, who are feeling a little bit frustrated um, by that situation. Does that make sense?
1: It does. I I think another thing that happens, though, um, in addition to that is that sometimes managers sort of claim that they can't do more to to reward the performance contributions of their employees because their hands are, are tied. Uh, but in fact, uh, research has indicated that under the conditions where employees understand uh, how their pay is determined, uh, they understand what they must do to maximize their pay, uh, and they believe they're working in a reward for performance type of environment, actually ratings of fair pay uh, yeah. go all the way up to about 86% agreement. So there are things that managers can do to impact uh the perception of fair pay, even if they don't have control over pay policy.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so much of it's perception management, and just being clear uh, and communicating transparently with your people around the constraints, around the opportunities, and then to just be fair and consistent, right? And how you go about um, administering, you know. Pay increases and bonuses and and any of those sorts of things, as well as opportunities for cool development uh, and and training and and those sorts of things. Wonderful. Absolutely.
1: So Absolutely. that's the first five. Yeah, that's the first five, and I refer to those as behaviors. And actually, you already hinted at at what is the the sixth attribute. I refer to it as a skill, because when we analyzed the data, what employees said was that they wanted their managers to be good at problem solving, decision-making. So obviously not just making decisions, but to be good at it. And of mm-hmm. course we know that a skill is something you become good at through practice. And so they want uh, managers who are who are practiced and, and good at decision-making and problem solving because uh, that makes their job easier to accomplish. They can be more successful. The manager knocks things out of the way, uh, eliminates obstacles to the performance of the work and employees, uh, can, can accomplish their work uh, at a faster rate in a more uh, satisfying way when good decisions are made and problems are solved. And then finally, we have values. Uh, I refer to them as values because they, they really speak to personal standards of conduct. And these aren't going to be surprising either. Uh, but one of the values was that empl- that managers be fair and just. In other words, they treat employees uh, in an equitable way. Uh, they don't play favorites. They don't uh, have pet employees. Uh, flexibility ex- extended to one is also extended to to others. Yeah, uh, employees want that basic sense of 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 justice in how their manager operates. And then, in addition to that, the second value uh, is be honest and trustworthy. Uh, this gets into the definition of what you and I would probably call integrity, doing what you say you're going to do, being being someone who's frank and and candid and who whose word employees can rely on. And so I refer to those as values, those personal standards of conduct. And when we look across this global uh, data set, actually, it turned out that 20% of all employees worldwide identified one of those two values as what was most important to them in terms of what they wanted from their immediate boss. So uh, it, it, these are significant.
0: Yeah. And I think each of those, those last three all get at kind of that situation I was just sharing <laughs> that happened exactly. yesterday. It gets to pieces of it. Uh, absolutely. And, and again, it, it, the the tricky thing with this is I do not think in that meeting yesterday, I do not think it was anyone's intention Uh, to be seen as playing favorites, or being flexible in one case, but not another, or, you know, not being consistent. Um, I don't think that was anyone's intention. uh, But it was kind of happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be very aware, uh, as you're having, you know, what otherwise are energizing conversations or exploring new opportunities or pivoting, or, you know, talking about strategy or whatever, you just have to be very aware um, about how you know, that's going to be perceived from the people who work with you. Um, You know, yes. And and again, continuing on with my example of this meeting yesterday, um, it it also, you know, this goes along with, I've been in some meetings with this organization over an extended period of time and probably eight months ago or so, I was in another meeting with them where, you know, there was a, a passionate case made in a very different kind of situation that largely 180 contradicts what they were doing yesterday right now are you allowed to pivot are you allowed to change your mind are you allowed to shift of course you know and so if you decide what well, we talked about eight months ago we're, we're now moving away from that we're shifting to something else that's okay like just be clear and transparent about that but when it's not acknowledged then what the perception at least whether it's the intent or not the per, the perception is that you know you're not being consistent that you're not, you know, really a person of your word, the, the integrity comes into question, or at least it can. Um, and, and it just, it, it unnecessarily undermines what you're trying to do. So like this new cool thing that was being pitched yesterday, you know, on the one hand has a lot of energy behind it. On the other hand, there's just like this undermining kind of erosion of the foundation of it, because there was a failure to acknowledge some of the things that had happened before, and to recognize that, things are pivoting, things are shifting. And and let's, let's talk about that. Let's explore that. Let's explain why that's happening. Like if you can be clear about that, transparent about that, I think most people can accept it. I think most people can understand that, yes, you know, maybe this situation is a little bit different or we're changing our thinking for this reason or whatever. And I think people can, can wrap their, their heads around that. But when you're not that explicit about it and when you kind of ignore it, you know, it, it can be perceived as gaslighting. It can be perceived as a lot of things that it's not the intention. Uh, and it only erodes the foundation and undermines what you're trying to do today. So for each of these points that you've been making, I I absolutely agree. I think they're so, so important. And especially when you get into these values, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I, you know, I just don't think most leaders want to do wrong by their people. Most leaders are good people that want to treat their people with dignity and respect. They want to be people of integrity. They want to treat people fairly and equitably. They want to do these things and they don't necessarily realize how their behaviors or what they're saying or how they're communicating sometimes is, is undermining that very intention that they have.
1: I think that's exactly right. It it requires an awareness. And I think, uh, John, one of the most important things is for managers to put themselves in the shoes of the employees. I mean, it goes back to kind of a basic philosophy of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you're going to show up in this particular way, think about how this is going to impact uh, others and take into consideration what has been their experience up through this point in time. And when we do that, I think we actually find much better ways to approach uh, a transition or to approach a change if we think through uh, how this is going to be heard, understood, experienced by, uh, by your followers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well said. Well, Jack, this has just been a really great conversation and a, a great overview of this really cool book that you've put together. Uh, I appreciate the time uh, that you've taken out of your day to, to meet with us and to have this conversation. Before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Right. I, I think, uh, first of all, I uh, thank you for the invitation to be part of the podcast. Really appreciate that. Uh, The book can be purchased on Amazon, The Employee-Centric Manager, obviously authored by Jack Wiley. Uh, I'm continuing actually to now deliver this um, information in the context of management development and management training. So I'm working with corporate accounts to train managers on uh, the attributes of the employee-centric manager. And one of the things that we've accomplished is uh, developing a measurement system to measure the extent to which managers actually do display these attributes. And that becomes a platform for what they can focus on uh, for their own self-improvement. And this self-improvement is actually quite critical because what we have found is that managers who operate at a high level on these attributes actually achieved uh, tremendous performance on the metrics that we would typically consider important for managers such as creating a great work experience for employees, high employee engagement levels, a good team, uh, if you will, the lack of of dysfunction, so good team cohesion, and then ultimately team performance. So there is a direct relationship between the display of these attributes. And I think what almost any organization would define as managerial success.
0: Yeah, excellent. Jack, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Jack can do for you. Check out the book, check out the training and development opportunities. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. That you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.